Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 12. And if you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the Bibles on the backs of the pews there uh, and turn to page 954. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take that as a gift from us. Again, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we desire to hear from you this morning. We pray that your spirit would soften our hearts and that as we come to your word, that you would speak to us in a way that truly changes us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, while checking his bags at the airport, a man became furious with the employee who handled luggage. For several minutes, he belittled the young man and criticized his every move. Surprisingly, the baggage attendant didn't seem to be troubled by this man's verbal abuse. And after the angry man left the airport, a woman approached the employee and asked, How do you put up with so much injustice? The young man said, it's easy. That guy's going to New York and his bags are going to Brazil. (laughs) We like a good revenge story. We like stories where wrongdoers get punished. And if they get even more punishment, we find it more entertaining. But when we approach the scriptures, we find out that revenge should never be the response of the believer. Revenge should never be the response of the believer. And so in this section, in Peter's letter, we will see that Christians love each other and bless those who sin against them. Christians love each other and bless those who sin against them. Take a look back at the text, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Verse 8 starts off with that word, finally. Peter is bringing to conclusion this section that we've been studying for the last two weeks. He's addressed these appropriate responses within specific relationships towards those in the government towards those in the workplace, towards those in our home. 
And now Peter gives us some virtues, some qualities which are vital to live out towards believers and unbelievers. He says, finally, all of you. Last week, the text was speaking directly to husbands and wives, but here clearly this all of you is referring to the community of believers. This word is for all of us who believe in Jesus. The attitudes and actions that Peter lays out right here are essential for how we are to treat one another in the church and how we are to treat those outside of the church. And what you will notice that even looking, looking at them briefly, these qualities are Christ-like. And the need to address them speaks to the fact that we often fail at living them out. The reason churches suffer from division and conflict is because instead of living out these Christ-like qualities, we live like the world. And that's why Peter has been encouraging this character transformation to put away the desires of the flesh and to live honorable lives. All right, so let's look at the qualities that Peter lists in verse 8. These specifically have to do with our relationships with other believers. And the first quality that Peter lists here is unity of mind. Another translation says, live in harmony with one another. I like that translation better because it gives us this picture in our minds. If we think of musical harmony, not everyone is singing the same notes. But there's unity within the notes that are being sung because they're in the same key. In the body of Christ, we're all different. We look different. We think differently. And our differences are intended to add richness to the church. One commentator said, unity does not mean uniformity. It means cooperation in the midst of diversity. We have many differing opinions about very insignificant matters, such as what color to paint the church building, how to decorate the church during the holidays. The list could go on and on and on. But that's not the unity of mind that Peter is talking to or referring to right here. We must be united. We must agree in the essentials of the Christian life. We should be of the same mind in regards to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We must have unity when it comes to gospel matters. In Philippians 1.27, the Apostle Paul writes this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Here Paul is making the same argument as Peter is, that believers should have the same mind in striving for the gospel. But what develops this unity of mind? Where does this come from? Our unity of mind, our, our like-mindedness, comes from the Word of God. 
Our unity of mind comes from the word of God. God's word is what unites us. Because the word of God gives us the perspective of God, which is radically different than the perspective of our world. Peter himself had been told by Jesus that he did not think, he did not have the things of God on his mind, but the things of men. Let that not be said of us. And what's really sad is that most churches split, not because of a theological drift, but over what color to paint the church basement. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Our unity is so important that Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prayed for this. He prayed for our unity. So Peter tells us, he calls us, to have unity of mind. And the next quality is to have sympathy. A sympathetic Christian is one who weeps with those who weep and rejoices with those who rejoice. We are to enter into the circumstances of our brothers and sisters. Because if we never walk through their joys with them, if we never walk through their problems and their heartaches, then we're never going to appreciate and understand where they are coming from. But often we aren't interested in involving ourselves in the lives of others because we don't want to deal with our own problems. Why would we want to deal with somebody else's problems? But Peter is saying that true believers are not insensitive or indifferent towards others. We come alongside them in their pain and their grief. We walk with them. We remind them of God's grace. The Lord wants us to walk through suffering and through the good days with one another. And our greatest example of this is Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. We are to have sympathy. And next, Peter mentions brotherly love. He's already emphasized brotherly love in in chapter 1, verse 22, where he tells his readers to love one another from a pure heart. By grace, we have been born again into God's family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. God is our Father, and we are his adopted children. And so if Christ loves you, and you are in Christ. And if Christ loves me, and I am in Christ, then shouldn't our relationship with one another result in love as well? Like family members, there's going to be moments where we don't agree with one another. We're going to irritate one another. But because we are family, when we are reminded that we have been bought by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that God has made us his children, it becomes easier to love and honor our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus said that the watching world around us would know that we are his disciples by the way in which we love one another. Again, Jesus is our example. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, 
that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Peter's emphasis here is is that when we see each other as a part of God's family, then we will treat each other like family. We should have brotherly love. We must also have a tender heart. Some other translations use the word compassion, but I like how the ESV uses the tender heart. This again gives us a better picture of what Peter is trying to get at. Tenderness is the opposite of roughness. Instead of having hard hearts that are unmoved, we are to be so affected by the pain of others that we feel it deeply within ourselves. We grieve with them. We have tender hearts. We shouldn't have hearts that are harsh and cruel, but ones that are soft and gentle. This is how we should be towards one another. And again, Our great example is Jesus Christ, who wept over the sin of the city of Jerusalem, who wept because of Lazarus' death. We are to have a tender heart. And lastly, Peter says that believers must have a humble mind. Humility is one of the most essential virtues in the Christian life. To the culture in Peter's day and the culture of our day, humility is a sign of weakness. But to the Christian, it's a sign of strength. It's recognizing who we really are in light of who God is. We have no reason to elevate ourselves over another person because we are in need of the same grace as the person sitting next to us. There was nothing in us, and there is nothing in us that makes us acceptable in God's sight. Paul writes in Philippians 2.3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We naturally do things out of selfishness and pride. But God calls us to a radical love of serving others and seeing them as more significant than ourselves. And again, Jesus is our great example. Because a couple verses later in Philippians, Paul says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. Jesus, the God-man, the sinless one, humbled himself to die on the cross for the sins of those who would believe in him. And so as we go through trials and suffering, it would be easy to treat our fellow believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, in a way that's unloving because we're frustrated because we can't handle the situation that's going on in our lives. But in reality, this happens because we have taken our eyes off of the gospel. We have taken our eyes off of Christ. And we've resorted back to the desires of the flesh. Here, Peter is encouraging all believers to live in light of the gospel towards each other when we're going through difficult times. And isn't it amazing that these five characteristics 
reflect the life and teaching of the Lord that we profess to follow. We are to follow in his ways. Peter learned these things from Jesus and is now passing them along to us. The transformational power of the gospel is seen when believers are united in truth, when they live and go through life with one another, when they recognize their family bond in Jesus and love one another, when they are compassionate instead of harsh, and above all, humble like their Savior. Verse 8, it seems like Peter is specifically speaking to how believers interact with other believers, but in verse 9, he explains how believers are to respond to those who mistreat them and disrespect them, whether they're believers or not. Take a look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Oh man, I bet some of us in this room wish that weren't in the Bible. We have a natural tendency to want to to fight back, to get even. Just think about how you act on the highway when that person cuts you off. What do you do? You slow down, just go, okay, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. No, we want to get back. We watch TV shows and movies that involve the good guys getting revenge on the bad guys. And their revenge is even worse than what the bad guys did. And earlier on in Peter's life, Peter loved getting revenge. But the Lord did a work in his life to the point that he's now speaking to us, not to retaliate, but to bless. We learn here that Christians get revenge in a different way. Peter's readers were facing hostility for their faith. And as they lived as elect exiles, different from the world around them, as they shared their faith and lived it out, there were people who responded to them in evil ways. They were mocked. They were criticized. They were humiliated in front of people. And these believers were tempted to repay evil for evil, insult for insult. But this is the easy way to fight back. It's in all of us to snip back at someone, to prove that we are right, to hurt those who hurt us. And so for the Christian, there is this battle before us to not respond in the ways of the world. Half the battle is just not responding. And the other half is responding in a positive way. An immense amount of self-control is needed. Do you agree? But praise God that this self-control is not something that is within us, but is a fruit of the Spirit God gives us this type of self-control. And so instead of fighting back and winning the argument, getting payback, the Christian's response is blessing. It's much harder to swallow our pride and take a moment. But we must consider what Christ has done and what he has called us to do. Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, 
I'm going to be in a a big passage. If you want to turn there, feel free to. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. Jesus says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Peter was there when Jesus preached this. Jesus taught that believers don't seek revenge. In fact, instead of retaliating back in an equal measure, Christians are to show grace and imitate the God that has shown them grace by showing love to their enemies. Love your enemies. We are called to a different way of life, a life transformed by the gospel. We were once enemies of God, hurling insults at him. And yet God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins in order to reconcile us to him and make us sons and daughters. And so now we, as sons and daughters, are called to be merciful as our Heavenly Father is merciful. Consider what Peter wrote about Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't respond back when he suffered. He entrusted himself to his heavenly Father. Instead of getting back, we are commanded to bless. In fact, Peter says here that we have been called to bless. This is our responsibility. If you are in Christ, then you have been called to bless your enemies. 
But what is blessing? What does blessing look like? I mean, we don't have some sort of superpower to bestow a blessing on people. Be blessed. It's not that. But blessing is asking God to show his favor and grace towards those who hurt you. It's seeking their highest good. Jesus says to love them, to pray for them, to do good towards them. This is hard to do sometimes. This is why we need to constantly be reminded of the gospel. This will help us extend mercy towards those who hurt us. Because in Christ, God blesses those who sin against him. And so those who follow him must do the same. Christians bless those who sin against them. And we are, Peter says that we are to bless so that we would obtain a blessing. I think the ESV translation here isn't the best. Other translations say that we will inherit a blessing, which I think is a better way of saying it, which is more accurate. It indicates that this blessing that we obtain or inherit um, is a gift. It's not earned or received or deserved. Most likely the blessing that Peter is referring to here is eternal life. But at the same time, we, we get temporal blessings from God all the time. But to be clear, Peter is not teaching works righteousness. He is not saying that people have to do good in order to gain eternal life. That is a false gospel. He has already said in this letter that God has given believers new life. And that he will preserve them to the end. Peter's point in mentioning that this blessing that we'll inherit or we'll obtain is to say that by behaving this way, by blessing others if they mistreat us, this is proof of those who are in Christ. Our good works are evidence of our redemption. Our good works our evidence of our redemption. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 says this. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. What we do in this life matters. We are to obey the Lord's commandments and follow Christ's example. So think about this. We have received eternal blessing of complete forgiveness to an unpayable debt to a holy God. And we have the promise of eternal life with him forever rather than deserved wrath and vengeance for our sin. 
And so in light of the gospel, we should be able to grant forgiveness and bless those who offend us since their offense is so small in comparison to what God forgave us for. This is how we live out the gospel in a world that is suspicious of Christians and hostile towards them. Christians should always be more concerned about the mercy of others than justice for themselves. Christians should always be more concerned about mercy for others than justice for themselves. We are called to bless. And in verses 10 through 12, Peter supports what he has just said in verse 9 by quoting a section of Psalm 34, which is a psalm that focuses on suffering and the Lord's deliverance. Verse 10 says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. The ability to love life and see good days is not talking about the absence of suffering. That's not good days in reference to what the psalmist is writing or what Peter is trying to get at. This psalm is written to those who were suffering. So loving life and seeing good days is about recognizing your standing before the Lord, focusing on your future hope, and also experiencing the amazing power of God's grace in the midst of your suffering. That's what seeing good days and loving life is all about. And so those whom Peter was writing to were facing suffering themselves. Peter isn't suggesting that they wouldn't have days without suffering, but they would love life and see good days because God was with them and that they had a living hope. Peter quotes this psalm to show that people who have been born again into good days of new life with God are called to bless and return good for evil. We're called to live out lives that have been transformed by the gospel. It says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Here, Peter specifically talks about our speech. Words are powerful. They're powerful tools for good and powerful tools for evil. And the Lord commands us to control our tongues. The Bible is very concerned about the evil that comes out of our mouths. In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah encounters the holiness of God, his first response is this, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The first sense of guilt that Isaiah has is what has come out of his mouth and his people's mouths. Our mouths are filled with things like slander, lying, gossip. But we should use our words to speak truth and to bless, not for sinful anger, not for lies, 
Take a look at verse 11. He continues, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. We are told to turn away from evil. This means to resist sin. And in the context here, it would be the sinful treatment of others who have harmed us. Responding evil with evil will only corrupt us. It will only weaken us. And could potentially mean that those who are evil towards us will even become even more evil towards us. Believers don't respond back with hurtful words, but are to do good. Instead of responding insult for insult, we bless. And believers are also to seek and pursue peace. This is a helpful reminder because we often enjoy controversy. We love finding something wrong with other people. Not only does God want you to seek peace, he wants you to actually pursue it. The word here is actually a hunting term, so he wants you to go hunting for peace. Worldly people look for trouble. Godly people look for peace. We are to seek a godly peace, not a peace of the flesh, a peace that doesn't compromise the word of God. And Jesus taught that those who are the sons of God are the peacemakers. We are to be peacemakers. Are there people in your life that you need to seek peace with? We are to seek peace and pursue it. And lastly, take a look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The psalmist is describing a sovereign, ruling God who sees all and knows all. He holds people accountable for their behavior. But Peter is using this psalm as a psalm of comfort to the believers he's writing to. He says, the eyes of the Lord. Often the eyes of the Lord can refer to God's judgment. But here, Peter is using this psalm to show that God's eyes are on his people, the righteous. We see that God is not a distant God removed from pain and suffering. And in fact, in Jesus, God draws near towards us and makes us righteous. God is looking towards us with open ears. What a comfort to know that the Lord is always watching, waiting, and ready to hear and answer the prayers of his people. But on the other hand, his face is against those who do evil. He sees their evil deeds and his anger and his wrath is towards them. We don't need to respond with anger towards those who hurt us because God sees them and in his timing will take care of them. This psalm reminds us that God's face has always been against those who do evil. Those who belong to his family and those who don't. And so a Christian's choice in responding to others is a choice to either be blessed by God or opposed by him. But here's the thing. It's very, 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 very possible to bite our lips, 
do something good for someone who has insulted us while bearing a grudge within our own hearts. On this, John Piper points out, one cannot truly bless while inwardly desiring someone's hurt. The command to bless instead of repaying evil for evil isn't supposed to lead us into this legalistic following the rules compliance. That's not what Peter is calling us to but to a confidence in the transforming power of the new birth, which allows believers to speak and act towards their enemies from a heart, a changed heart, that truly desires their blessedness. This is what the gospel does. It transforms us. And so, my question to you, Are you speaking and acting towards those who hurt you in a way that truly desires their blessedness? Or are you speaking and acting out of hurt? Yes, this is a hard thing to do. But God wouldn't require it of us if we didn't have the ability to do it. Since we are in Christ, and have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us, we are able to bless and not curse. Imagine how the culture in Peter's time reacted when Christians genuinely loved and blessed those who persecuted them. Imagine how people would react if they experienced us not giving them payback but blessing them. It's our human nature to retaliate and almost expected by our culture to do that, right? So if we refrain from speaking back and instead offering blessing, maybe some of our enemies could become our brothers and sisters. Isn't that the hope? that those who hurt us and sin against us would see our good deeds and be saved? By blessing others, they could see God's saving grace in our lives and be led to glorify God. God could use our response to bless them to melt their hearts of stone, to convict them and save them. So we have a decision to make when faced with insults and evil and hostility. We can respond in two different ways. We can respond out of the flesh, defending ourselves, hurling back those insults, or we can demonstrate the power of God's saving grace through Christ-like responses and trust that God will either save or punish those who hurt us. We no longer live our lives for ourselves, but for others, and so that the gospel would go forth. If we don't live this way, if we don't follow God's word here, then the world will see no more than a distortion 
of what it means to live in light of the gospel. So Christians today and in Peter's time have always faced some sort of hostility from the culture. We, as believers, are called to know Christ, to be like Christ, and to act like Christ in all things. So let's look for ways to demonstrate love, sympathy, and compassion to members of the body of Christ, to our brothers and sisters. Let's live humbly. Let's respond to hostility in a Christ-like manner. When you're sinned against, don't retaliate, but repay with blessing. Treat them kindly. Pray for them. Forgive them even when they hurt you. And ask God to show his favor and grace toward them like he's shown it to us. We have the promise that even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, God is watching over us. He's protecting us and ready to extend his blessings. Christians love each other and bless those who sin against them. Let's pray.